learn an old hymn they had never heard before. All right. That's the teacher in Don helping me out still. Yes. Amen. It was good. All right. Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And we're going to look into verses 14 through 19. Two weeks ago, we introduced this study of the eight covenants, and we touched a little bit on every one of them to get our minds ready for them. And then last week, we shared the Edenic covenant, and tonight we will go and flow right into the Adamic covenant. We are going to find in the beginning here that there are some similarities between the Edenic covenant and the Adamic covenant, and that has to do with the participants in the covenant. This is another covenant that is from God to Adam, just as in the Edenic, and in the same way, Adam is representation of the entire human race here. And so as we consider how Adam uh, broke the conditional covenant uh, of the Edenic covenant, he broke that law, and we had the fall of man come about, okay? Adam fell, and the fallover came, came onto the entire human race, uh, Everyone in the human race of humanity has fallen now. And as we get into the unconditional Adamic covenant tonight, we're going to see that this Adamic covenant was given to regulate the life of fallen man. And the conditions of this covenant for the most part, are going to remain as long as man is in his mortal body. When I talk about a mortal body, I'm talking about the body that we are in right now. One day it's going to be swallowed up of immortality, but right now we are in the mortal body. And this unconditional covenant is going to continue on as long as man is on this earth. Now, when we talk about the full, complete deliverance that we're going to have from this covenant, ultimately, in every way, that is not going to come until we have a new heaven and a new earth. And so, as we look into the provisions of the covenant tonight, we are going to see some differences. There are provisions in the Adamic covenant, just as there were provisions in the Edenic covenant, but the provisions in the Edenic covenant was to all mankind, all in one lump sum. We had these provisions made, but now we have a designated provision that's going to go four different directions. We have provisions in this Adamic covenant, and first it's going to be to the serpent, and then it's going to be to Satan, and then it's going to be to the woman, and then it is going to be to the man. So we have four different directions as we go throughout these provisions. And the first one, we're going to see the provision for the serpent. We're going to find that in verse 14, and we're going to see three divisions, three uh 
three provisions that we are going to discuss concerning the serpent. So if you would look with me at verse 14, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So as we look into the provisions that were, per, that were personally given to the serpent, we see that the serpent is cursed above all creatures of the animal kingdom. You know, now it's not typical and it's not the norm that a provision is going to be made concerning one that we would call in the animal kingdom, you know, to, to make one responsible for their actions. But you understand, uh, but in the case of harm that has come upon man, then, then their actions are going to be accountable. There is going to be a holding of responsibility for anyone that comes against and harms man. Uh, Genesis 9.5 says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man... So let's understand that, that those of the animal kingdom, they were created for our benefit. They were created for purpose in a positive way for you and I. And when they break that purpose, when they go outside of that, and when harm comes to man, there is going to be accountability. There is going to be judgment. And we see that there is. But we also see a second provision concerning the serpent. It will crawl on its belly. Now, if you were here last week, you may have heard me talk about in the Edenic Covenant how the serpent was upright, a beautiful, upright creature. And I say that because of what we see here in the, in the curse concerning a provision to the serpent, that now he is horizontal. He will crawl on its belly. Now, the idea of legs and no legs, we don't have that in here. And, and I believe we ought to stick to the basics and understand that the curse would make the serpent to crawl on his belly. So we had an upright ser serpent in the garden. And then we have a third provision we're going to look at tonight concerning the serpent. It says, dust shall be the serpent's food. There's a lot of Bible critics. There's a lot of atheists out there and agnostic and people who read the Bible from a human standpoint with their limited understanding as a human being and they see the Bible in a different way and they want to attack it. What we have here is a spiritual book. It's been spiritually written. It must be spiritually discerned. If I wrote you a letter and you didn't understand what I was saying, you wouldn't go ask someone else what I was saying. You ought to come to the one who wrote the letter. And so the Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God. But you have Bible critics that say, Ha! Got you. Reptiles do not eat dust. Well, Jesus says, I am the door. Now, is Jesus a 32 by 80 rectangle piece of wood with a handle and a peephole and a mail chute in it? 
No, no. But it's figurative and it's for explanation. It's not to be taken literal. And the same is here for the serpent. It is speaking of the curse that has come upon the serpent. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 65 verse 25. It says, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and, excuse my eyeballs tonight, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock and that, and that shall be the serpent's meat. In other words, it's just in general speaking of the curse that has come upon the serpent. So we have three provisions here in the Adamic covenant that were specifically given to the serpent. Now if you'll look with me in verse 15, we're going to look at four provisions that were given to Satan. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So really quick, we're going to look through these four provisions that were made to Satan. And we see in the beginning here that there would be uh, hatred between Satan and the woman. And that hatred would rise, and it would rise between Satan's seed, the Antichrist, and the woman's seed, the Messiah. And then as we look at the third provision, the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's seed. Now, now we can speak of a few things in this, but as you consider the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can, you can see it there. And I won't speak of things that we can't put our finger on, but let me just say this. If God hadn't raised Jesus from the dead, Satan would have got exactly what he wanted. Because if God hadn't raised Christ from the dead, then, then, then all is null and void. And there's, take him off that cross. Take him off the pictures. Take him off the, the chains. He's not on that cross anymore. He's been raised from the grave. The empty cross is victory in Jesus Christ. I want to see an empty cross. But if he would have stayed there, all is null and void, and Satan had a victory. But we see, we see here the provision that the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's seed. But we see a fourth provision here. And we can look at this by way of resurrection. Resurrection conveys that the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. That God has raised Jesus from the grave. You know, praise God for the prophecy we have of the victory of the Messiah over Satan right here in the first of five letters that God gave Moses to give right here in Genesis 3.15. We see our hope in the Messiah. We see His, his glorious victory that, he, that we have been given over Satan, that He has made over Satan. I'll read about that in Hebrews 2 and verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death went all their lifetime subject to bondage. Praise God 
for the victory that Christ has given us over the, over the death that Satan wanted us to have. Right here in the beginning of the Bible, we see this victory, the crushing of Satan that was going to take place. And, and when Paul speaks about it, okay, when Paul speaks about the crushing of Satan and the ultimate victory of Christ over him, he speaks of it as futuristic whenever God gave him the letter to speak to the Romans. And in Romans 16.20, it says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So, that, so it's coming. It's as good as done. Satan knows he's as good as done. Praise God for the victory. The victory that we have from the very beginning of God's word. Well, let's go into a couple of provisions concerning the woman. Look with me in verse 16. He says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. As we look at the three provisions of the woman, the first thing we're going to see is that the state of the woman has changed. Throughout a woman's events in life, she is going to suffer discomfort and, and pain by way of routine. And that is what has fallen upon her in the fall. But not only that, the woman was to give birth in pain. Before the fall of man, there would have been no pain. There would have been no travail in childbirth. But now she would deliver the child in travail. As we all know, there's the suffering and the pain that a, that a man just doesn't want to think about going through, that a woman goes through in delivering the child. And this is the suffering. This is what has fallen on mankind because of the fall of man. But even in that, even in that, Jesus speaks of some joy that there is. In, in John 16, 21, Jesus says, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Praise God that there is joy in our suffering. There is joy in a fallen world for a child of God that He gives us joy. We have, we have victory as we consider by faith what is coming. Well, we see a third provision, though, for the woman here. Though we see that the wife was to be in subjection to the husband. Now look, this does not mean that wife was not to be in subjection to the husband before the fall. The difference is she didn't have a desire to be uh, to to rebel 
against the husband before the fall. But after the fall and the sin nature came upon us, then woman has a desire to rebel. Just as we all have a sin nature and a desire for, for all the things, we could pick on the men about a lot of things, you know, and we're not picking on women here, but this is, this is the covenant that, that God made to Adam. And the specifics in this are that she would desire to rebel. And the same goes on now. You know, I mean, whether it's before the fall, whether after the fall, the wife was never meant to be the husband's competitor, but the husband's completer. God made man, and then and God looked all throughout creation that he had, and there was nothing of equality. There was nothing for relationship with man. So God did a beautiful work, and he took from the rib of man, and he made woman to be his helpmeet. Consider, consider the rib of Adam being taken that Adam might consider I'm not complete without her. And so God created the beauty of marriage and, and this equality and compatibility in relationship as he gave man woman in marriage. You know, you, you think about the instruction to husbands, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So the husband is to be sacrificial to the wife and meet her needs. We see the submissiveness that is required of the wife to the husband. I'm sure a lot of you have iPhones out there right now. And if I asked you for the battery to your iPhone and I tried to put it in my Android, it's not going to work. It's just not going to fit. And God has, has given relationship. He has given family. He has given roles. And He's given instruction and guidance as to how it perfectly fits. And we would do well to heed the instructions and the guidance of the Lord. Many marriages and many families are having severe problems. And 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 from every from every position in the family there can be some dysfunction as according to not going along with God's rules and God's guidance. I'm not saying it's easy Paul spoke of marriage as being a mystery. So we have something that in family, with kids, with spouse, in every way that is to be worked on very hard. And, and I tell you what, it takes a reading experience and a study experience and a meditating experience on the living Word of God. That's what it takes for you and I to be successful in this family unit and in these guidelines that God has given for us. It takes submission to the Holy Spirit for you and I to, to live and operate properly and function with our spouse. 
and with our children, to lead our children. The roles are getting so dysfunctional. Be careful when you turn on the TV at these oh-so-funny 30-minute sitcoms where the wife is playing the leading role and the man is playing the submissive role and the children are, are in charge of them both and it's just an ugly thing and it's constantly being fed into us. I'll never forget the man from overseas. I don't remember the details of it. I believe he was a missionary. And he came here, and as he was on the plane leaving, somebody said, what was the most interesting thing that you experienced in America? And the man said, that is very easy to answer, how the children rule the parents. God has given instruction and and we must we must live and breathe this living word of truth we must depend on it it's impossible without him it's impossible without his word well let's look at the five provisions for man now please go with me to verse 17 it says and unto adam he said Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For but of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Five provisions for man. And when I say man, I'm talking about everyone. It fell upon everyone as we look into this. But man is the one responsible for the sin nature that fell upon the human race. You look at Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and around through verse 21 and you're going to see that the responsibility laid on Adam. It wasn't Eve, it was Adam that it, that it laid on. And, and so there's your first provision of the covenant. But as we look in the second provision, we see that the earth was cursed. Now last week we we talked about some hardworking gardeners here in this church. I mean, hard work, it's tough work. There's a lot of people that will not have a garden and maintain a garden simply because of all the work that it requires. But before the fall, I mean the ground just freely and readily produced for man. That it, it was easy to grow. But now there will be thorns, there will be thistles, there will be weeds. There is opposition that comes from the earth. And so that's the curse. That's one of the provisions that were given to man. But we also see another one. The vegetarian diet continues. Now, at this point, I'm not sure about the animal kingdom. I don't know if they were starting to nibble on each other or not. But, but concerning man... With, with his diet and man with animal. Now, now he could use the animal for, for wool and for clothing and for dairy. He could do that. Uh, and, and, and to sacrifice. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, 
they, there was the providing, there was the shedding of blood to provide a covering for them. So now there was, there was sacrifice for sin. And so they sacrificed the animal. But after they cut up that animal, I don't know if they looked at it and wanted to eat it, but they couldn't eat it. It was not given at that time. They were still vegetarians grazing out in the field. But as we look into another one, it, we see that man's work was characterized by, by hard labor. So what do we call it before the fall? Let's say it was man's delightful occupation. Remember, it was very systematic. He was given something to do, and it's good to have something to do, and he had responsibility, and he had oversight for the garden. But now it would be hard labor work from the sweat of his brow. There would be burden in the work, and it would be a tough task. It would be a lot of toil. Fifth provision. Physical death was introduced. Look at the very end of uh, verse 19 with me. The very end of verse 19. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Now in the Edenic covenant... We understand and we see there that man spiritually died. That's where man clearly spiritually died. And it's in the adamant covenant that we see physical death ultimately coming about. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. So physical death has now come. There are a couple of exceptions though. We have Enoch who walked with God and he was translated to heaven that he should not see death. And we have Elijah and Elijah bypassed and detoured death as well. And those are the only two so far. But there's the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is coming back one day. You and I, you and I may fall in the same boat with Enoch and Elijah. We may not see physical death. We may be taken up. When Jesus comes back to the clouds, those who are alive and remain shall go to be together with the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to be caught up, maybe. If Jesus doesn't tarry, if Jesus returns, if he does tarry and and he doesn't come back before any of us leave this life. Hey, that's okay. We're still going to be caught up. Look, look, if we do face physical death, if I face physical death, you're all going to cry and you're going to sorrow and you're going to miss Brother Kenneth and you're just going to wail. But absent from the body is present with the Lord. You're going, to, you're going to wail over it, right, Keith? You're going to be sad. But, but I'm not. But I'm not. It's going to be a quick trip. I'm being caught up. What a win-win we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God that He has given us the victory over death. Well, the Adamic covenant. A big part of this, what we're looking at the fall of man. But, but there is an outstanding prophecy that, that I just can't help but see glistening through. And that is the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. 
we see the gospel of grace in this. We see God's redeeming, victorious plan for His people right here in the beginning. It's just glistening through. Think about, think about God, how He made everything in the first six days. And on the seventh day, He rested. But man fell. Man broke this conditional covenant. And he fell and he sinned. And you understand, God is self-sufficient. God is freestanding. He did not need us. But God did all this work in six days. And God rested. And God went back to work. Praise the Lord when man fell. Not, not that he had to have a new idea, you understand. Because Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So there was already a second Adam. Jesus is called the second Adam in the Bible. And he, is, he was already in place before the first Adam sinned. Did it, did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? And God had the plan for our redemption in place. He went back to work. Through the blood work of Christ. You've all heard about the little boy who built him a boat. And he took it out to the lake to see if it would float. And he put it out on the lake and it just started floating beautifully. And all of a sudden it floated away and he lost track of it. And he couldn't find his little boat that he made. So then he goes walking around holding his head down. And he's walking through town and he looks in the window of a store. And there's his boat. And he walks in the store and he doesn't say, that's my boat. He doesn't say, where did you get that boat? He came in and he said, I want to know what the price is for that boat. And he was told the price and he paid the price. And so he took his little boat and he walked outside and he's cherishing it as he walks down the sidewalk. And he says, oh boy, I got you. I made you and I lost you. But I bought you back again. And you are mine, all mine. And everyone is God's creation. The earth is the world's and the fullness thereof. And they that dwell therein. Everyone is God's creation. And He created them perfectly right. God makes no mistakes with anyone. But then God lost us. In this fall, God lost man. But he has bought us back again. He has bought the children of God with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sounds like a great place to end. But we need to consider something else. We need to consider the power against the covenant. There is a power against the covenant because the seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. But, but thou shalt bruise his heel. Thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the opposition of Satan to the good news of the redeeming work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Satan hates grace. Satan hates the gospel. Satan hates the Son of God. And Satan's influence is actively opposing the Christians today and the unsaved and keeping them blinded. You think about in the book of Job, whenever, whenever Jesus and, and Satan were having a conversation and just paraphrasing, God said, what are you doing? 
And Satan said, well, I'm just going around to and fro in this earth and I'm having my way with your people. And that's when it got to considering my servant Job. And God may still need some Job's today, all right? But as we think about the lost, as we consider the lost, it sends me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There's, there's victory over this fall. And God wants to use us in it. The Bible says that ye are the light of the world. And, you, and we're, not to light our, we're not to hide our candle under a bushel. But let our light so shine to others. There's opposition to the gospel. There's opposition to the details in this covenant where God provided a lamb sacrifice once for all. And there, there, is, there is an opposing force that wants to blind the minds of this world and keep them in darkness. You know, darkness really doesn't exist. It's just a lack of light. You know, light is always going to cut through and penetra penetrate the darkness. And we're called to be light to others and not... Hide it under a bushel. We have victory. We have victory currently, even now. Jesus, Jesus said, My Father, who is greater than all. Man, I love that. We focus on how no one can, can pluck us out of his hand, and that is wonderful that we have security in Christ. But I'm hung up lately on my Father, who is greater than all. For you and I to be unsuccessful as a child of God and as a witness, and for it not to be our fault, there will have to be something or someone that is greater than God to stop it. But we can say as Jesus, my Father, who is greater than all, there is none greater. There is nothing greater. And I think of First John first. Uh, four four. As we close, First John four four speaks of the greatness that the Christian has, greater than anything in this world, greater than than anything that could come our way. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. We look at the fall of man here. But I can't help but close with the glistening of victory that there is for eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, next week we will be in the Noahic Covenant. Uh, I pray you're enjoying this. I, I'm loving it myself. Pray for me that I can do a good job with God's perfect word. And uh, everybody be careful. Have a really good night. Keith Campbell, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight, sir?